Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest, the New York City, New Jersey, Philly edition. I'm Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. Joe Works is with me from Fairlawn, New Jersey, and Noah Andrews is our webcast engineer. If you have comments or questions you'd like to get to us during the webcast, you can send them by the comments section in, at the uh, Facebook page, and Noah will see to it that we see them. Or if you are coming in through the Zoom app, you can use the Q&A tab at the bottom of the Zoom app. Good afternoon, Joe. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? Doing well. I understand you've got a topic for us today that we're going to start out with. How about you introduce it? Sure. Uh, So trying to think through uh, some biblical passages, and perhaps this will help some uh, individuals listening, or they can help some others as well, uh, and help us as we go through this trying to distinguish between uh, spiritual struggles that are sinful and not sinful. I think a lot of times when we talk about spiritual struggles, we almost immediately, our mind turns to to sinful activities, either sins of commission or sins of omission. But it seems to me that there are some passages uh, that, that teach us that not every spiritual struggle is is a matter of of, of sin. Uh, yeah, you know, a, a, an example that comes immediately to mind is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he's crucified. I think we'd have to say that was a spiritual struggle, but we'd also have to say there was no sin there. Um, right. Sometimes we wrestle with what we have to do and um, what God expects of us, and sometimes people can feel guilty. They can feel like they are not they're not doing the right thing or somehow they're spiritually lacking if they find that they're, they have a struggle in some way. And the fact is all of us have struggles. All of us have weaknesses. All of us have places where we still need to grow. Um, None of us have reached a point where I've got everything under control. I don't have any more questions. I I don't have any more temptations. Uh, You know, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly fine. And so wanting to think through that distinction between where do I still need to work? What things do I need to improve on? But also not feeling guilty about those things um, that I am working on. Um, if, if, if the Bible's not identifying them as, as sinful situations. Mm-hmm. And so one of the first passages that came to my mind in uh, relationship to this issue, and I don't know if it's necessarily the, the most productive passage for this, but it's at least a starting place in First Thessalonians five and in verse fourteen. First uh, Thessalonians five, verse fourteen. Yep, First Thessalonians five, verse fourteen. I'm trying to get there. Okay. All right. So Paul says, "Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak." Be patient with all. And I've taught on this uh, passage before, and it certainly is a great uh, admonition for us and how we deal with others and recognizing not everybody's in the same situation. There are some people who are unruly. I think they are in a state of sin. Yeah. Uh, they're acting in a rebellious way. They're unruly. But others are faint-hearted, um, uh, and then there are others who are simply weak and we ought not to treat everybody in some cookie cutter form. Sometimes do we, do we find that we see people or maybe even we ourselves 
actually feel guilty. We feel like I've, I've done something wrong, but we can't put our finger on anything we've done wrong. And sometimes that's because our heart is not right before the Lord. And what we're, what we're experiencing is a consciousness of our heart being distracted, our heart being uh, tuned to material things or something, and we're really not connected with God. But sometimes you can have a, a super sensitive conscience that is just feeling guilty because you've not done everything you could do. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the fact is, we never get to the point where we do everything right and uh, we never uh, anything lacking in, in our lives. But I don't see any indication that God is wanting us to constantly walk around doubting our salvation and, and questioning whether or not we are uh, in, in a right relationship with God because of that. There's a passage that, came, you know, you and I kind of talked this subject over a little bit as we were thinking about what we're going to do for the webcast today. And um, I mentioned to you there's a passage that I, I remember, I think, I know when I was in college and ever since, and maybe even before that, but people would struggle with this passage. It's in James chapter 4 and verse 17. And James writes, To him, therefore, that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. And here's what people would do with that. They go, that means if there's anything that I know is good, I should do it. And if I don't do it, I'm sinning. And then they'd think about all the good things they could have done that they knew would have been good to do that they didn't do. Oh, I could have visited so-and-so in the nursing home today and I didn't do it. So it's sin. Or, oh, I could have said a prayer 10 minutes ago and I, that would have been good to do and I didn't do it, so it's sin. Oh, I could be saying a prayer right now. Oh, I better start praying, but you can't be praying all the time. So the, the, there's an observation I want to make about this passage. It's not saying every time there's a thought that comes into your mind where, oh, here would be a good thing to do, and you choose to do something else, that doesn't mean that you've sinned. Um, James is a, is a letter that is very similar in what, it, in what it deals with to the Old Testament prophets, very similar to what Jesus deals with in dealing with the Pharisees also. But in particular, I have in mind Isaiah, and there are several connections between the, the letter James writes in the first few chapters of Isaiah. Uh, just one quick connection, and we see this connection several places in the Old Testament. But in uh, Isaiah chapter 1, where in verse 17, it says, Reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And of course, in James chapter 1, he's talking about pure religion uh, and undefiled before our God and Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Basically, that's an example of what both Isaiah and James are trying to do. They're both addressing a, a mentality that, that uh, sees formal religion as good enough, but doesn't put it into practice. In Isaiah, God just says, I'm tired of your solemn assemblies and the trampling of my courts and that kind of thing, because it's just outward. And that's kind of what James is dealing with. So I say that much to say there's some similarities between James and Isaiah, and this passage about doing good is one of them. Listen to Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. When he says learn to do good, 
Is he saying every good thing that occurs to you, you're obligated to do that, and if you don't, it's sin? No, he's contrasting two ways of life. Learn to do good. Now listen to James chapter 4 and verse 17. To him, therefore, that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. It's kind of a binary thing. Are you doing good or are you doing evil? Yeah, excellent point. And I love the fact that comparing Isaiah and Micah, uh, passage in Micah, may be a little bit more familiar with, with some of the people listening. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He's talking about a way of life, developing right. this mentality. Uh, I think that's very much on point. And I'm not going to point to or, or call out anybody's name in, in this in regard to this, but I think that one group of people that I have noticed over the years that struggle with this sense of guilt for not getting everything done and, uh, uh, and, and maybe not separating this idea that you're describing here from Isaiah and James really well are, are, are mothers, you know, moms that have young children in particular, yes. they feel overwhelmed. And, you know, sometimes you hear them say, well, I didn't get anything done today because I was busy cleaning up messes and changing diapers and trying to keep food inside of the baby's mouth. <laughs> and, you know, we step back and we think, you did a world's worth of good today, but they feel guilty because they haven't gone to the nursing home or the hospital or spent hours in prayer and, you know, read through the book of Isaiah or whatever the case is. They've done good, and, and they ought not to feel guilty because there are some other things that couldn't be accomplished. Right. Excellent. Excellent. And I've seen that too. Mothers, especially mothers have so much on their plates and, and there, there's always that tendency to think about what I should be doing for others. They, and, and I know many mothers who do, they do so much for their own family and then they do something for others as well. At the end of the day, they've worked a 14 hour, 16 hour day and, and then they're beating themselves up because they didn't do some other things that you just can't get, you can't do everything. You can't exactly. do everything. Jesus right. had times when he needed to get away from the crowd. And, uh, and, and um, I wanted to use the word recreation. I don't mean he was overplaying tennis somewhere, but, but he would get away from the crowd, spend time alone with the father. He could have been overdoing some miracles. He could have been overhealing somebody, but we can't do the same thing all the time. We can't do everything all the time. Sure. Well, that's exactly right. And, and even places where we may recognize, well, let me turn to another passage, uh, kind of along the same line, but maybe shifting gears slightly. Uh, in Philippians 3, and uh, verses 12 through uh, 16, I guess, is the paragraph, but uh, I don't know that we need all of that but to, to get this sense. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Mm -hmm. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Rather than I do not count myself to, apprehend, uh, to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let as many of us as are mature have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. 
Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. To me, that's significant to think about. Paul says, I'm not perfect. I haven't, I haven't achieved everything, but here's where I am. I'm, I'm forgetting the things that are behind. I'm pressing on. I'm striving to be more like my Savior Jesus. Uh, I, I want to, to have him as, as my goal. Um, but in the process of all of that, he also talks about those of us who are mature. Uh, and so he's not saying, I question my salvation because I haven't reached this, uh, this level of perfection yet. Even Paul had weaknesses. Paul had places where he prayed for people, you know, uh, or we asked people to pray for him, that he would have boldness to speak. Right. Like that. Right. So, so let me put the question to you this way. Does that mean then that someone who could be described as spiritually mature could yet grow in faith? Well, I think we're commanded to grow in faith. So yes, anybody who's not growing in faith is probably not spiritually mature. Uh, I think would be another way of, of thinking about that. You, if you're mature, you recognize that you still have ways to go. Could you envision someone saying, uh, and truthfully saying, I have faith, but I want more? I could easily imagine somebody saying that, Jeff. Uh, in fact, I can imagine it so well, it's almost as if it comes from the Scriptures. Oh, really? <laughs> where, where, where would that be, Joe? <laughs> Well, uh, a man that too often I, I can relate to in Mark, the ninth chapter. You may remember, those of you that are, are listening, a uh, man who had brought his child to uh, the apostles. They were unable to cast the, the demon out of him. And uh, so now the man brings him to, or he, Jesus comes upon them, I should say, and asks what's going on. He describes the the, the hopeless situation of the, of the child. Uh, he's thrown into the fire and into water in verse 22. And he, he says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Some question about the way verse 23 ought to be read there. But whatever the case in verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah. There's a there's a place where he he's crying out for the Lord for for compassion. He he wants the Lord to do something. He, he's brought the man to the Lord's disciples. There is a level of faith that he has, and he recognizes that he is struggling with that. I, I think there's an interesting story in Acts chapter twelve. As, as I think about it, we get to kind of a similar point. This is where James has been killed, and now Herod has arrested Peter and um, has him in prison. And in verse 6 of Acts chapter 12, it says, When Herod was about to bring him forth, the same night Peter was... I'm sorry, I need verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in the prison, but prayer was made earnestly of the church unto God for him. They are praying for Peter. What are they praying for Peter? Surely they're praying for his deliverance, for his life to be spared. James has just been killed. They are praying for Peter. And then what happens? Well, miraculously, he escapes. The angel comes and, and escorts him out. And he comes to the house of Mary, the mother of, of Mark, of John Mark. And he knocks at the door of the gate in verse 13. A maid comes to the gate, Rhoda, 
when she knew Peter's voice in verse 14, she opened not the gate for joy. She's so excited, she forgets to let him in, ran in, told that Peter stood before the gate. They said unto her, these people who are praying for Peter's deliverance, say to her, you're mad. (laughs) She confidently affirmed that it was so, and they said, it's his angel. I I think that we can see ourselves sometimes in this. We we know something is true. We believe it. But sometimes we have a, a hard time really coming to grips with it. I believe in the resurrection from the dead. I believe that, that Jesus is coming back. And those of us who will have died at the time that he comes back, who are in Christ, are going to be raised from the dead. I've never seen that happen. And, it, and, and I'm sure I need my faith in that reality to be built up. Am I guilty of sin if I find myself sometimes saying, do I really believe that? Can I really believe that? Yes, I believe it. But I'd sure like to believe it even more. You right. know? And yeah. that's kind of what we see in this film in Mark 9. Good, good point. And, uh, and Drew offers up uh, Luke 17, 5, uh, in, a, in agreement with this, uh, with this very thought. The apostles say to the Lord, increase our faith. Um, you know, that's, that, that's not a sign of, of, of sin, uh, recognizing that my faith needs to be increased and going to Jesus for, uh, to, to have that fulfilled. That's exactly what God desires of us. So when we struggle, when we have doubts, this is what we ought to do. Not feel guilty about it, but simply come to the Lord and, and ask for help. And, and to say that I'm not necessarily guilty of sin because I have room for my faith to grow shouldn't then lead me to be content with where I am. I need to grow in faith. I need to be ever stronger in my conviction. And, and that just thinking about the hope of the resurrection, I need to continually grow stronger in that. So I'm more motivated to, to have my priorities, what they should be in this life so that I am living for the next and not for this. But, but to say that I have room to grow doesn't mean that I'm somehow uh, sinful, guilty. And, and yet people sometimes get to feeling guilty like that. Yeah. I think All one right. of the things that, uh, really struck me a few years ago, I heard an, an older preacher, uh, I guess he's now maybe about 90, I don't know exact age, uh, but he was in his late 80s, and he made a comment about that as he gets older, the, the, the older he gets, the more he relies on God's grace. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that really struck, because I think about, well, I hope that as I get older, you know, my faith is going to be stronger, and, and I'm going to... Uh, I, I, I wouldn't really say this, but there's almost this thinking of, I won't need as much grace because I'll be a stronger Christian. Uh-huh. And, and it was just really helpful to hear that, that, no, the truth is, I recognize that I'm not measuring up, but I'm constantly striving for uh, what the Lord wants of me. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting thing to think about. We need God's grace because of our failures, because of our sin. Um, and so, and we want to be, be more diligent so that we sin less, so that we are more, God can count on us to be more reliable, more and more so. And so then maybe it's, it's, in, maybe it's uh, human nature to think, so the better I do, the less I need God's grace. But it's an interesting thing. The reality is, as we become more and more faithful and more and more dependable and reliant and our priorities are stronger in in the direction they ought to be, we also should become more and more aware of how 
utterly incompetent we are of standing just on our own merits before God and how truly we need God's grace. Thinking about the servant after done, having done all that the master he wanted still views himself. Yeah. You, you've just done, you've done what you ought to do and that's all. Right. Um, all right. Well, uh, if you have comments, questions, those of you watching, we'd sure be appreciative to have your input here. And if you have comments on this particular topic, get them in quickly because we may turn to some other thoughts here in just a moment. Um, anything else, Joe, on this idea of just feeling unnecessarily guilty? We do want to have a tender conscience such that when we are guilty, when we've done something wrong, we can quickly recognize it, acknowledge it, turn from it. But we're talking about people whose consciences are, are such that they end up feeling guilty of sin where they're not. Anything else we want to add to that before we move on? Well, well two, two thoughts. One is that, you know, if you can't pinpoint what the, what the source of that guilt is, if you can't pinpoint what the sin is, it probably means that maybe you're, you just haven't been contemplating on the Word of God. Um, but if you just have this sort of feeling that, I'm just a bad person. I know that God isn't pleased with me, but I don't really know why. Uh, that's probably in it, uh, that misplaced guilt. Um, uh, some people just can't feel, they just can't come to accept that God is going to love them and accept them based upon their striving to be his servant and uh, his tremendous mercy and love. And so, Mingled with that, then, I think is, is where passages like Second Peter 3.18 help, where Peter closes off his letter by, by saying that we should grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The, the Word of God very much expects us at all levels to continue growing. Uh, and so we ought not to feel guilty where we are, if we're not in, in sin that we, you know, we can't say, okay, well, this is the sin that I'm, that I'm in. I should feel guilty about that. If, if I'm not in that place, then I should realize, okay, maybe I'm not feeling good about where I'm at. It just means I need to grow. So I need to study. I need to pray. I need to, to focus on service. But that's just a, a part of growth. And guilt may actually hinder us from that. It certainly is one of the tools that Satan can use to make us overwhelmed where we feel like uh, God is not accepting of us. Yeah. Now on, on, on the other side of that, and that we said this before, but I'll reiterate it. I think there are times when there are people who have this poorly defined sense that somehow they're not what they ought to be and they can't identify anything in particular, but the reason they can't identify anything in particular is because they're not really trying to. Right. They really don't want to recognize the sin in their lives, but they do have this vague awareness they're not what they ought to be. So, okay, uh, you know what? Let's be introspective in the sense that we, we look at ourselves and measure ourselves against the Word of God, but let's be willing to accept the fact that we have a God who does want to forgive us. He wants to forgive us so much that he sent his son to die an agonizing death on the cross. And before that, he put up with... What to God may be no time at all, but to us is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of dealing with the the a rebellious people just so that he could bring into the world this scheme of redemption, this sacrifice that would save us from our sins. He did all of that because he wants to forgive us. And I think that's the thing that sometimes people miss. God wants to forgive us. He wants to make us righteous. 
And he wants us to live in this state of hope upon his word, based upon our, our, our reaction to his word in, in obedience. But he wants us to have this hope, not this, this dread of, of his appearing. We, we're to be these super conquerors. God expects us to, to, to believe that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Um, and so there's hope there. You said two things a moment ago. I th- I'm not sure you got two things. You, I, you may have only gotten one. Was there one more thing you wanted to talk about there? Probably was, but it, uh, but my memory doesn't work, so that's okay. All right. Okay. Um, well, let's turn to another topic now. And again, please join us if you have comments or questions. Let's talk a little bit about baptism and what one must understand um, for his baptism to be truly for the remission of his sins. And, and I'll just introduce this this way. Um, we, we know that people can be immersed. They can tr- actually be buried underwater for religious reasons. And, and yet it is not the baptism into Christ. Uh, we can certainly read about the people in Acts 19 who were immersed. They'd been baptized and it turned out they needed to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so they were baptized, somebody could say again, but their second baptism was their first into Christ. We might also mention John chapter 3, where Jesus talks about being born of water and spirit. If my baptism is just a coming up out of the water and it is not uh, something prompted by the spirit, well, then it's not what the Lord is talking about. But when we get down to, to practical uh, questions. We, I run into, Joe, I run into a lot of people, and I study with them, and um, in the study, we, we see that baptism is necessary for the remission of sins, and they nod their heads, yes, that's right, and have you been baptized? And yes, they've been baptized, um, and, and yet sometimes it, it becomes clear that when they were baptized, they didn't understand everything that I understood when I was baptized into Christ. And so the question that I want to put before us today is, what is necessary to be understood? Well, let's start with an easy one. Do you have to understand that we shouldn't be using instrumental music? I don't, I don't see that as a condition for our, uh, I almost hesitate to say, our, our initial salvation. Um, uh, you know, what, there, there is no checklist of everything that we have to know before we can enter into some sort of uh, uh, relationship. Um, we, we see several people in the New Testament who are baptized who could not know everything there is to know. Right. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch, he, Philip preaches to him Jesus as they're traveling along out there in the desert. Here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? He's baptized right there, and he goes on his way rejoicing. There's a whole lot of things he would not have learned at that point. The Philippian jailer who was baptized the same hour of the night, uh, you don't learn everything you need to learn in an hour, um, but you can be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins without knowing everything. So what do you need to know? What do you need to understand? First, I think we have to begin with, with God. You have to know God. You have to know who Jesus is. Not everything about him, because I would suggest that I certainly haven't even grasped all of, of who the Lord is. Recognizing that Jesus came to, to die for my sins uh, and that he was raised from the dead seems to be a good beginning point from 
First Corinthians, the fifteenth chapter. Yeah, um, there, there in First Corinthians fifteen, you have the the basic facts of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection laid out there, and described as the gospel. This passage in Acts nineteen, I want to spend just a moment here. Let's go back to Acts the eighteenth chapter first of all. Apollos has been in Ephesus, and it describes the influence Apollos had. Verse twenty five says, uh, verse twenty four says he was an eloquent man and he was mighty in the scriptures. Verse 25 says he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, knowing only the baptism of John. I want to focus just for a moment on the fact that he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. It appears, because Luke tells us about the beginning of Paul's third journey, and then takes time out to tell us what's going on in Ephesus before Paul arrives there. And in telling us what's going on in Ephesus, he tells us about this Apollos. And then, and then Apollos is, is further enlightened by Aquila and Priscilla, and then he goes on. He heads to Corinth. And then Luke tells us about Paul's arrival in Ephesus in chapter 19. And he tells us he found certain disciples in verse 1 and said, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, Nay, we did not so much as hear whether the Holy Spirit was. And so Paul quickly realizes, hmm, They've missed out on some information. They what what were they been baptized into? If they'd been baptized into Christ, you'd think they'd have heard about the Holy Spirit. And so he said, "In what into what were you baptized?" And they said, "Into John's baptism." Now, if as presumably is the case, their being baptized into John's baptism was as the result of Apollos's influence whether it was Apollos himself who had baptized them or whether he had had enough influence that people he had taught baptized other people. If it had been through Apollos's influence, as it seems was the case, Apollos spoke about Jesus. These people could well have heard of Jesus and known some things about Jesus. Nonetheless, they were baptized in the name of John, and at a time when John's baptism is no longer valid, and Paul says that they need to, well, verse 4, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that should come after him, that is on Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. So I think that we could say it's possible to be baptized even knowing something about Jesus, but it not be a valid baptism. We got a comment from a viewer here. Uh, Brendan says, I think Philip's statement to the eunuch helps us in answering this question. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That, that one's tricky there. Why is that one tricky? Um, well, if he, I'm not exactly sure all that Brendan is saying, but certainly that is a part of, of what is necessary. Some will read passage and say, you know, what is, what is necessary is just to, to believe. Well, the thing, the thing I have in mind is he's quoting there from Acts chapter 8 and verse uh, 39, I'm sorry, verse 37, verse 37, and Acts chapter 8 verse 37 is not in the American standard except in a footnote, and many of the other modern translations may have it in the main body of the text, but they mark it off as a dubious authenticity. Right. Um, my conclusion is that it seems that that particular verse is a later addition to the text. Um, 
not to disagree with the point Brendan is making, um, but I'm not sure I would go, well, I wouldn't go to Acts chapter 8 and verse 37 to make the point there. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the things in that passage are seen in other passages, and so it's not a matter of whether or not we do need to believe in Jesus, it's just whether that it's saying it there or not, right? Yeah. So, so the question then is, what about the individual who is, let's, let, let me ask you a series of questions. Um, what about the individual who believes that he had a religious experience at which point he was saved and he knows he was saved because his life changed and he started doing good things and he talks about all the good things he's done. Um, and then he says, and five years thereafter, I was baptized and I did it because the Bible says you must be baptized. So I was trying to obey the word of God. What about that scenario? Well, to, I think one of the things a person needs to understand is, uh, they are saved at the point that they enter into relationship with Christ. Uh, they're not saved based on their feelings or on some experience. Um, we have to rely on God's word to tell us when we enter into that relationship. And, and I would make this point, and, and we were talking about this ahead of time, and you made this point. Sometimes people who say that they don't believe you actually have to be baptized in order to be saved, or they don't believe baptism is the point of salvation, will talk about how their life has changed, and therefore they must have been saved, and they're missing the, the very point they say they believe, that is that we're saved by grace, not by works. Right. They're pointing at their changed life as, well, I have to be saved because my life has changed, and the fact is the only way we can be saved is by becoming part of Christ's death, and it's his death that's going to take away our sins. My, my doing good, my changed life is not going to take away my sins. That's, that to me, I think, is just such an important key to, to dismissing much of what's said in opposition to the plain teaching of Acts on baptism. People saying, well, no, baptism is a, is a work, and we're not saved by works. But the truth is that baptism is an acknowledgement that I can't save myself. I'm putting my old man to death. He's being buried in this watery grave so that I can be raised to walk with Christ. It's actually a, the ultimate affirmation that I need God's grace. It's, it's exactly the opposite when it's, when it's done right. It's exactly the opposite of being a work of man. It's an acknowledgment that the man can't save himself. We've got a comment from a viewer in Guatemala, and he says it hurts that I don't understand English. Uh, well, uh, <laughs> now that's not exactly what he said, Jeff. What, what did he say? What he said was, lastima que no entiendo el inglés. Oh, very good. Wow, very, I'm impressed. Spanish. But uh, to, to, to our viewer in Guatemala, uh, gracias por ver. <laughs> <laughs> very good. All right. Uh, it hurts that I can't pronounce Spanish correctly. <laughs> you did much better than I could have. Well, no, actually, your your Portuguese is probably closer to correct Spanish pronunciation than my Spanish. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll just leave it in Guatemala. Uh, I, I'm glad that, that people are listening in various places, though. All right. Okay, so th there there are, though, Joe, there are people who are baptized in the denominational world 
who come who, who I end up meeting who, who come to me or I find them or whatever and in talking with them um, they tell me they were immersed they tell me that they had repented before they were baptized they had changed their life they tell me they understood when they were baptized they had to do that to be saved and they may even tell me they understand that that's the point at which their sins were washed away uh, now maybe we have some viewers who doubt that ever happens but but I I believe that happens, and when that happens, I believe that person is baptized into Christ. The fact that the person baptizing him may not have agreed with those sentiments or may not have uh, understood those sentiments, I don't believe that undermines the validity of the baptism. We certainly do not need to be able to trace our baptismal lineage back to the apostles. Um, impossible to do uh, and and really uh, would, would be futile to try our our salvation is not dependent upon the person that's that's dipping us uh, into the water if it were if my salvation were dependent upon my being certain the person who baptized me was truly a Christian let's just think about this for a minute Joe do you know who baptized you uh, I do know who baptized me and do you believe he was a Christian uh, yes I'm very confident that he was do you know who baptized him I do and and do you know who baptized that person? Actually, I do. You're kidding me! <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. They're, they're all. They're and they're all still alive. Now you go. Go one more. Okay. So uh, we've gotten three iterations back. Do you know who baptized that person? I do not. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I've never had to go that far back. Okay. So you know who baptized you? You know who baptized that person? You know who baptized that person? But you don't know who baptized that person. Exactly. Right. Uh, so if that if you don't know who baptized that person and it turned out he were not sincere or he was not truly a Christian, and if your salvation depended on who baptized you, then the person who baptized you, his salvation would have depended on the person before him and so on. And if at any point that chain was broken, you would have no idea whether or not you were in Christ. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, and that, that really seems like that could have quite been a possibility even in Philippi, uh, thinking about the situation in Philippians, the first chapter, some who were preaching Christ uh, uh, under false pretenses and so forth. Who knows uh, what the heart is of the person that's doing the baptism? I'm curious, how do you know so much about the chain of baptisms going back from you? Uh, well, uh, Dennis Stodgill. Gary Sandusky, I believe, baptized him. If I'm not mistaken, Ken Green baptized Gary. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Oh, so, uh, I don't know who baptized Ken Green. Uh, but uh, Maybe Ken can call us in and call in and tell us, and then, then we'll, yeah. get one, we'll get one more iteration back. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't matter. All right. So, but then what happens is, and I've, ha- I've seen this happen. Uh, there's, I remember an individual who I was studying with him, and um, he told me, well, he had been baptized in some denominational congregation where he attended. And I said, well, tell me why you were baptized. And he, first of all, he told me he was immersed. And then he just basically almost paraphrased Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And it was so close. I, I had to say, well, if that's what you did and that was your understanding, then it sounds like you were baptized into Christ. He began worshiping with us in the congregation where I was, and time went by, and as he heard more and more teaching, he became convinced, actually, he hadn't understood. 
And at that point, he was baptized into Christ. Sometimes we're going to have to rely upon the honesty and integrity of the person we're teaching, and we're going to have to just keep teaching and some, and, 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 and then pray that if that person needs to be baptized again, if that person really didn't understand it, as we keep teaching, that person will come to understand uh, the truth of the matter. I think this may not answer every situation. Well, it doesn't answer every situation. Um, but one of the things that has been helpful to me in talking with people that are in those types of scenarios is to ask them, how long did they wait to be baptized after they came to believe? And why is that an important question? Well, if they believe that baptism was for the forgiveness of their sins, then there would not be any delay in that. If I know that I'm still in my sins and there's and what's, what's hindering me from being saved, being right with God, is being baptized, I'm not going to schedule that for three months out. That's right. That's right. So, and, 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 and by the way, just thinking about kind of an, an, a different question, but somewhat tangentially related, sometimes we struggle with knowing when our children are old enough to be baptized into Christ. And um, one of the things that I think is true is, is just what you said. If our, if our son or daughter is old enough to understand his or her sin and the need for God's forgiveness, uh, I can challenge my son or my daughter, do you really know what you're doing? Do you really want to do this? Do you think you're ready? Do you want to think about a little while? And if they get a little intimidated and back off, chances are they, they are not ready to do what they need to do because if they truly understand this is about his relationship with God and it is, it has been severed by his sin and he can be right with God. He's not going to be put off by that. Yeah, excellent point. Uh, I've certainly used that with my children over the years as well. Good. All right. Uh, comments or questions? We've got just about three minutes left of the webcast today. If you want to squeak a comment or question here right right at the end, we'll be glad to try to get one or two more in before we go. Um, so, all right, what we've said so far is when it comes to what you have to know to be baptized into Christ, you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, you, you have to believe that he's raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I like that you pulled, uh, called our attention to that passage. Um, you have to believe it is his death that is taking away your sins. Otherwise, you don't understand what baptism is all about. Baptism is into his death. And, and you know, so many times, have you ever taught a Bible class and you just say, what saves us? And you have several people say, Baptism! Well, Peter says that in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. So in some sense, you can say that. But if I don't have the understanding that baptism saves because God has declared that at baptism, I become a part of Christ's death, and it's the blood of Jesus that is atoning for my sins. If I don't understand that, if I just think that, well, I'm, I'm supposed to get dunked in water, I really don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sure. And Brendan makes a good point. I think even connected with that. He says, if I don't have enough faith in God and his promises to act on his word, then I don't have enough faith or understanding uh, about what God has said about salvation. I think that's, that's helpful to, to tie those things together. 
and and what that underscores is before I before I can even be baptized, I have to have faith. There's another thing that I have to do, and that's repent. Acts chapter two and verse thirty eight. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What is repentance? It's a change of heart. If I have not made up my mind to quit serving myself and to start serving God, I am not dying with Christ. To be crucified with Christ is to put to death my old man. And I'm, I'm still that old man having, you know, getting dunked and still the old man when I come up if I haven't repented. So that's certainly something that I need to understand. All right. All right, closing thought, or is that if that's good enough? I think we're good there. Thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Noah, for being our webcast engineer and making sure everything runs smoothly. And Lord willing, we will see you next week.